0: welcome to the education marketing leader podcast with chris raposo if you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights draw inspiration from education success stories or just want to sharpen your marketing skills you're in the right place here we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies whether you want to understand your audience better stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. What is one important lesson that you've learned about website personalization that makes for a successful website personalization experience?
1: I mentioned that my advice was to start small, but no matter how small you start, you have to be thoughtful. So I would not just kind of download a couple of stock photos, and I'm saying, okay, and now I'm trying all different photos to see what works, or I'm creating different calls to action, and I'm just going to have ChatGPT write of all, write all of this. Um, so even if you start small by just maybe one or two personas, like we talked about, you have to still put a lot of thought into it, because otherwise it's just random. Um, So try to understand who that particular persona is, put yourself in their shoes, Um, maybe even observe somebody who volunteers that falls into this persona, navigate your website um, and really understand what resonates with them. Um, So yeah, even if you start small, that's totally fine and you should. But be very, very intentional about what you're doing, about the content that you're delivering.
0: Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader. Today, I have a special episode. It is not only the final episode of 2023, but it is also with a person that I directly work with. It's with my boss, Kat Lingens, the CEO of Hannon Hill. Kat, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chris, and most of all, congratulations on 52 episodes in 52 weeks. That is uh, incredible. What what an amazing accomplishment, And, and how is that for consistency? That is not an easy thing to pull off, especially when you're embracing a medium that you hadn't before. So congratulations to you, and hats off.
0: Thank you very much. I encourage everybody to, if they want to build something to build in public, at the beginning of the year, I told Kat that I was embarking on this journey of having 52 episodes in 52 weeks, me only knowing maybe five marketers that would agree to be on the show. And her response was one word, easy. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, what I got, what did I get myself into? Because now my boss is um watching, and I want to make sure that I look like the kind of guy who starts something and can finish it. So that was in the back of my my mind the entire year. So and Kat did a good job feeding me some guests as well at the beginning. So that helped out tremendously. So thank you for that.
1: Absolutely.
0: So usually I do background, you know, I check. LinkedIn, um, on the experiences of my guests, but we work closely together, so I know some a little bit about you, about your background, about your experiences. I know that you have a, a major in English and a massive master's degree in information technology, and you also served as the associate dean at the American International or Intercontinental University, but then you eventually ended up at Hannon Hill in 2009, where you were the COO Chief Operating Officer, and the Professional Services Manager, which opened up an opportunity to lead the company as CEO in 2011. But there's always a journey that's behind that, right? You look at the resume, it's like, okay, there's a couple of steps here and there, but how did you get to that point? How did you end up at Hannon Hill?
1: It's a long story, <laughs> So, uh, as you know, I was born and raised in Germany, so it's kind of funny. It's like two Germans walk into a podcast. (laughs) Um, But I came to the States uh, a few decades ago, actually, and uh, I've been in the technology space for for a long time, since the late 90s, in in various roles, including, as you mentioned, associate dean of IT. I was the IT manager, just worked in many different uh, spaces, including higher ed, um, nonprofit, government, and so uh, I started at Hannon Hill in 2009 as a professional services manager and then uh, got into the COO role um, and then uh, into the CEO role. Um, before I came to Hannon Hill, I, I was a big fan and I just wanted to work for the company. So I, I just applied to uh, different jobs there um, and it worked out perfectly. And, you know, one of the things that I always... Uh, believe is that when you work for the right place, then you don't have to worry about the next steps and constantly think about next steps because you can just trust that good work will be rewarded. And uh, hopefully that was the case and they haven't regretted it since. Uh, But yeah, I've been in the CEO role now um, since uh, 2011 and enjoying it. Love working with my team and uh, I love working with higher ed because I just so much admire what they do, all the great research that they do, the the minds that they educate to shape the world. And uh that's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Very good. Uh, I love hearing about that uh, backstory as well, because I haven't dug into that too much with you while we work there. Usually when we're at work, we're all we're not we were about getting things done for our clients. So um the personal stuff, especially on my side, I'm always like super business oriented when I'm in the office. So Kind of like having this conversation right here on the air on our day off to um, share some insights uh, for the audience on where you came from and what makes you, um, you know, so committed to the higher ed industry. So, but one thing we um, you frequently presented on, and we briefly touched on it during our webinar on the enrollment cliff is website personalization, and this is what the topic is going to be uh, about today. Mm -hmm. So since Hannon Hill has a website personalization tool called Clive, we're going to talk about website personalization. But this is not going to be an advertising show about Clive, but about the benefits uh, that website personalization brings to a higher institution's websites. So let's dive into that. If somebody doesn't know what web personalization means, Um, Can you give a brief overview of what it means, how it's relevant in the context of a higher ed website?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, So in a nutshell, web personalization is a technique that is used to essentially enhance the delivery of web content uh, and improve the overall user experience through customization. So that could involve tailoring the, the content itself or the layout of web pages, or even the functionality of the website in order to meet a specific visitor, so even a group of visitors' specific needs and preferences. So the goal of web personalization is to increase user engagement, uh, satisfaction, and then of course ultimately the goal is to increase conversion rates by constantly providing a relevant and personalized online experience. So that's just generally what web what, what personalization is. Now, how it's relevant to, to higher ed, there are a number of different reasons why it's becoming more and more relevant. One, personalization is no longer just a nice to have. It's, it's more of an expectation because we get personalized experiences everywhere, as I'm sure you've experienced. So we go to a hotel room and the TV's on and we see our name right there. Um, on the screen. Uh, We get email promotions constantly that are personalized. The obvious examples that everybody mentions are Netflix and Amazon, where you have recommendations based on your interest and previous purchases. Um, And so we've really come to expect personalization in so many aspects of our lives. And uh, the truth of the matter is that most consumers actually only interact with brands these days if they provide this customized, personalized experience. Mm-hmm. So um, for higher ed, it's shown that if prospective students had, or if students had that personalized experience in their recruiting process, they're more likely to enroll. Um, while they're enrolled, they're more likely to engage with the university or college, and even after graduation, they're more likely to donate and donate more frequently. So that's that's relevant just from a from a uh, revenue standpoint. Um, and from an expectation standpoint as well. And uh, personalization now, we've talked about the enrollment cliff, as you mentioned, is becoming even more important because we have this looming uh, demographic enrollment cliff. So the number of high school uh, graduates that are college bound is, is depleting, is decreasing. So what higher education does in order to mitigate this trend is to appeal to a broader demographic. So we're looking at recruiting older demographics, uh, international students, uh, veterans and military is uh, is a big, big focus right now. So just to provide you a super simple example, if you're looking to appeal to a busy professional who would maybe inter- be interested in an online program, showing pictures on your site of the dorms might not be as effective, right? So you want to always deliver the most relevant content to the individual. So in order to attract the the right audience, you really need to show them content that, that demonstrates that they belong, that you understand their needs, that you understand their fears, their challenges. And so one of the most effective ways to accomplish this is through the technique of personalization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said there with um, keeping current students engaged, because when I think about website personalization, I'm thinking about it from a sales perspective to get people through the door, right? That's my top of mind thing. How do I get people to sign up for our services? How do I get people enrolled in our institution? And then I'm not thinking about, well, retention is just as important as acquisition, because especially with the demographic enrollment cliff, once they get on your campus, you want to make sure they, they that they're they get the experience that they sign up for. And how do you provide that? You provide that through um, events that are relevant to them and or or counselors, if they need a counselor, for example. How are they going to find that when they go on your website, right? If the the website knows them, whether it's implicitly or explicitly, you'll be able to give them that content that they're looking for. At the moment's notice when they show up on your on your website some people may be in distress mentally you know there's a lot of mental health uh, stuff going on especially after covid Mm -hmm. so these are situations and moments where where it's really important to give somebody what they need right away without them having to go dig through 20 different pages to find it um so definitely something there with uh, web personalization that that makes it relevant to tailor that content that they need at the time that they that they need it. Um, yeah,
1: no, and and you actually mentioned COVID, and this was a great preview of what to expect with the demographic enrollment cliff as well. As you mentioned, you know we talked about you can't recruit yourself out of this enrollment cliff, right? So retention is just as important, and this is a situation that first, uh became very, very obvious during COVID, where all of a sudden universities were struggling to uh, to deliver relevant content to current students to make sure, hey, we haven't forgotten about you either, right? And so that's where we sort of witnessed the emergence of personalization techniques. So you only have one homepage, but you can use personalization in order to tailor content to prospective students, to current students, and really any other persona that, that you're targeting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's also important to have that tool on different pages, right? Not just on the homepage. Like let's say, I've heard this um, during a conversation with one of our partners from Vision Point Marketing, Matt Hatzberger, who said, when you have a targeted ad somewhere, these people on LinkedIn or whatever, they click on it, they get to a landing page. Now that landing page becomes their homepage because they end up there, right? They're not going to end up on the HannonHill.com homepage, they end up on a Cascade CMS page, for example, right? And that becomes their homepage, and then they navigate from there. But so it's very um, important to put on that landing page or whatever their homepage is that they arrive on your website on, that that is also tailored to what they need. Because, you know, as we know, if somebody can't find something within a couple of split seconds, they'll go somewhere else. Now, there's also about things about analytics, data collection, you want to make sure that you follow the data and you know where people are coming from and where they're going. Can you explain or is it possible through web personalization to utilize the data to personalize a website without compromising privacy? You know, everything is about these days. And and even before, people are weary about, am I being watched? Is my information being used um, to potentially um, harm me?
1: Yeah, so personalization a lot of times has this stigma of being very invasive, just asking users for a lot of their data and being a little bit creepy, but it doesn't have to be that way at all. Um, In fact, personalization can be easily provided without asking for any personal data at all. So geolocation is a good example of this uh, because, again, the visitor doesn't have to do anything. Um, a tool can easily identify where this visitor is currently located and display uh, personalized uh, information accordingly. I'm going to give you an example here in a second. Um, you can also personalize content based on behavior on your website. So, whether that's specific page views, if somebody looked at a specific program, or the date and time of their last visit, or even search terms that somebody used on their site. So, all of this does not require your visitor to relinquish any type of information at all. But you can also uh, encourage your website visitors to essentially categorize themselves as a specific type of visitor. Um, And you can do this with just a simple dropdown um, if they want to optimize their web experience. Again, that's an opt-in. They can still get that vanilla experience if they so choose, or they can select the persona Um, for which they want to experience your website. And again, I still have not collected any information, any personal information at all, but I can completely uh, customize the entire web experience. And then also keep in mind that when it comes to providing personal data, you know, it oftentimes is the case that Users are more than happy to trade per some level of personal information in order to get something of value in return, right? So a good example here is uh, one of our clients, Ontario Tech. They have this digital viewbook. So prospective students can get their customized digital viewbook. They can get the vanilla experience. But if they want a highly customized viewbook that is tailored to their interests, all they have to do is fill out a form and uh, that form is going to look exactly at what this particular student is interested in. And it generates this beautiful digital viewbook. that data could be used elsewhere now on their website to deliver this targeted content. Uh, but again, there's a trade off. So you can give your user the choice uh, to, Get a generic experience or to provide just a little bit of personal information uh, to get an enhanced experience. In terms of working with uh with uh, different tools, obviously you want to work with vendors who can delete user information upon request if necessary. That's basic GDPR. Yeah. Um and so another another tip that you might want to consider is you know. Be transparent about what you what what you deliver. So it's a it's a really good idea sometimes to say, by the way, this piece of content was personalized to your needs based on this particular factor, and yeah. then you can have your user opt in or out of that experience.
0: Yeah, that's it's a that's always the thing, you know, with that um, giving up a little bit of your personal information to receive that tailored content. It's like um, if there's something. I need to know about my major, be that journalism at the University of Florida. I wanna know what's happening there. Are there going to be any talks from expert uh, journalists from the New York Times or Washington Post that I can learn from? I would miss that if I wouldn't have subscribed or given a little bit of that information of my preference. You're getting that through the website on your university page. Um, So that's these little things that you give, but you get so much in return that I think is well worth that little bit of privacy giveaway, but that's just me. I mean, I have nothing to hide, so I'm not too worried about (laughs) it. (laughs) Um, Have you noticed any challenges that universities face when they try to implement personalization? How have they overcome those challenges?
1: Uh, Yeah, we actually asked this question in uh, I think it was the webinar on the enrollment cliff. And we talked about personalization and, how it can mitigate some of the challenges with the the cliff. And so based on the answers that our participants provided, you know, one of the biggest challenges really was related to resources. And I don't mean just resources in terms of tools because there are tools out there right now and a lot of them are not super, super expensive, Uh, but more in terms of just time and having the staff and having the knowledge um, so, uh, that's, that's definitely something that, uh, that has potentially, uh, been a challenge, um, disproving ROI. Um, a lot of times, you know, we live in an instant gratification kind of world and people want to see the, uh, positive ROI, uh, right away. And a lot of marketers also are just afraid to get started because they feel like, you know, if I get started with personalization, oh no, now I have to create 20 different, 50 different versions of each type of content that I have in order to cater my content to those different uh, segments of my audience. And so my advice, as it often is, is to start with small experiments. Um, you don't have to start with 20 different versions to see positive results on personalization. Um, start with something very simple, like uh, images or calls to action that don't require a lot of content writing. Mm-hmm. Um or start with uh just small snippets of content. Um, obviously you know you have to take your baseline data, compare it, and after a few months you see whether it's worth a further investment. But another another thing that I often recommend to our higher ed customers, especially if there is a little bit of a reluctance or skepticism or uh maybe a risk averseness, you know, if if we embrace this personalization, if we do this experiment are we potentially losing out on, you know, a, a student, a prospective student converting? Um, so the, the little tip that I'd like to give is, start out with the persona that's the hardest to convert or that's really challenging to convert, right? So let's say that um, your college or university has had a really, really rough time recruiting, I'm just making this up, um, business students, prospective business students from Nigeria. Right. So you've not seen that success. Well, what a perfect opportunity to try out some personalization um, to to tailor content specifically to students in Nigeria. You can use the geolocation for this. And and because you and I both know, you know, as an as former international students, there is a massive fear uh, of being isolated of not knowing what's going on if you enter this brand new culture and this you know new university you don't know anybody and so that's a low-hanging fruit right there you can take you can have welcome messages tailored to yeah. specific countries and again start with the, some of the demographics that are the hardest to convert and if you can show that Oh, we had no conversions before this. And now we actually have, you know, five, 10 applications from this particular group. That is a huge win and that can build momentum and that can build support.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. that what you just said with the welcome message for the international students coming here from Germany, not knowing language too well. I, and then enrolling at a communication school, I thought to myself, am I? able to make it through the program with English English as my second language, going to a communication school. That seemed very, very hard at the time before I enrolled. So having student success stories, for example, tailored to these international students from people that are from Nigeria who went through the program, who were successful, to showcase that it is possible, if you put a little bit of work into it, that really encourages and gives these prospective students hope that there may be a place for them at a particular institution. So I like that as well. They don't have to go fishing for it because you don't know what you don't know, you know? So if you show up on that university website, you you may look for a business program, but you don't know that you should look for student testimonials if this is your first time there. But if you tailor those student testimonials to them, then they're going to be like, wow, okay, so I'm not the first one who's doing this. This can be done.
1: Absolutely, and and, you know, if you are an international student from Germany, for example, you know, yes, you look at the programs, but you know, you don't even think to look at, is there a German club or something like this, right? So if you automatically fed this type of information, automatically it becomes a much more inclusive and much more encouraging uh, environment.
0: Yes. So when I went to the University of Florida, they actually had a German Stammtisch. <laughs> it, was a, <laughs> it was a student group that met um on campus, but also online. So they had a Facebook group and I joined them. So that was kind of cool uh, yeah. to see that. And the, the word Stammtisch alone is already, it, it builds that trust because it's a word that only Germans would know. Yeah. Um, let's talk uh, emerging trends. There's a lot going on. Especially in tech with AI, what? But besides AI, what are some emerging trends in web personalization that hired marketers should be aware of?
1: Yeah, of course, we, we we can't ignore AI, and I think AI will actually play a huge part in personalization. Um, uh, you know, and 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 that that is a big trend to to kind of merge those two. So. You know there are things in personalization that could be automated using AI, like suggested content or suggested links. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that goes back to the fact that you don't want people to have to search for things. the The more you can eliminate the search bar experience, you know, the better off your audience is. Uh, obviously, chatbots are they're getting <laughs> they're getting scarily sophisticated, and they really are a great opportunity to to help especially international students speaking of which again uh to find the information that you're looking for when nobody at the university is monitoring the chat because they're in you know different time zones obviously um and chatbots can also deliver easily deliver content in different languages which uh, which is, of course is another advantage um and i can see ai eventually being used to um adjust uh content to different reading levels. And we've talked about this before. A lot of times, especially when you broaden the, the, the pool of your content contributors, higher education professionals tend to write for other higher education professionals. Maybe not so much for somebody who is about to graduate high school. Um, so the ability to um, allow the website to automatically adjust the reading level based on what you know about a visitor and adjust that on the fly. I can see there being a, a huge uh, impact that AI could have or even do on the fly translations. Um, so I think the AI is making tremendous progress with, uh, with translation. Um, and another, another AI aspect of personalization is the, uh, just analytics you know the ai does a phenomenal job just parsing through vast amounts of data that that were and seeing patterns where humans might not easily see them so ai will be able to tell you hey you're catering this to this particular persona but they're not really coming to your site or here's a gap that you're seeing you you're missing out on this type of persona and even make content suggestions for you to for you to create. So, I think all of those are those are emerging trends that we'll see um, and tools that will be able to to take your personalization to the next level.
0: Yeah, talking about translation, not that it has much to do with a personalization tool, but I, I've compared Google Translate to Chat GPT Translate, and I wrote a piece in English. And it was a deep, meaningful piece that my family wanted translated. They were like, oh, what is this? What what did you write about here? Can you translate it for me? And I put it into JetGPT and I asked it to translate it for me. And it was spot on, word for word, but not word for word, but context to context, uh, amazingly accurate better than i could have written it in german yeah you know i was like holy cow this is amazing uh, in comparison to what google analy- uh google Translate sometimes produces you know that is word for word and that is not always uh accurate and uh, contextual so highly recommend anybody wanting to maybe translate their program pages from one language to another of course you want to have a native speaker uh, review that but Get GPT, use an ad for that, is incredible, I think.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I highly recommend it. I've used it before myself.
0: Um, so let's say institution listening, somebody higher ed marketer wanting to begin to explore web personalization. What initial steps would you recommend for a successful implementation?
1: Yeah. Well, I think most of the advice that you read about or hear about it's based on common sense. So, you know, if you don't have your initial data as a baseline, you can't measure if your personalization is paying off. So start with the data that you have, um, set some goals that you would like to accomplish, um, and then really, you know, develop and formulate an in-depth understanding of your audience. That's that's all normal, standard, good advice. But I think what, what happens is that uh, we talked about starting small. And, and I think that um, a lot of times we fall into this trap of even if we start small, we're still thinking, how do we scale this up? And, and I, I don't think that that's the way to go um, because you just want those small wins at first, right? So um, again, start with small images with uh, calls to action. Um. Again, uh, start with personalization that doesn't require a lot of guesswork. Mm. So a geolocation is, is really clear cut because the visitor doesn't have to provide anything. Um, you know, consider this drop-down box to, to let your visitor categorize themselves. Um, start with the problem demographics that, that I was talking about so that you can actually get that traction right away. And you can combat some of the skepticism that you might encounter.
0: So just curious, how long have you been working with web personalization? And how long have you been educating yourself on website personalization?
1: A long time. Um, At Hannon Hill, we started working on website personalization tools like Clive um, seven plus years ago. We've been doing a lot of research, and this was before... Higher ed uh, even had it on the radar because we knew that the time would come where personalization would be an expectation. And we knew that it would be able to help higher education websites catapult themselves to the next level. So it's been a long time.
0: Yeah, seven years. So within those seven years, what is one important lesson that you've learned about website personalization that makes for a successful website personalization experience?
1: I mentioned that my advice was to start small, but no matter how small you start, you have to be thoughtful. So I would not just kind of download a couple of stock photos and I'm saying, okay, and now I'm trying out different photos to see what works or I'm creating different calls to action and I'm just going to have chat GPT, write, of all, write all of this. Um, so even if you start small by just maybe one or two personas, like we talked about, you have to still put a lot of thought into it because otherwise it's just random. Um, So try to understand who that particular persona is, put yourself in their shoes. Um, Maybe even observe somebody who volunteers that falls into this persona, navigate your website um, and really understand what resonates with them. Um, So yeah, even if you start small, that's totally fine. And you should, But be very, very intentional about what you're doing, about the content that you're delivering.
0: Yeah, intentionality is key when it comes to websites or content strategies. This brings the episode to a close. Very rich episode. I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience learned a lot as well. If they want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: so uh the easiest way is my email uh, I'm pretty uh, neurotic about my my inbox so <laughs> um I will definitely answer um so my email address is very 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 simple it's just K-A-T, K-A-T at hannonhill.com um, or you can just connect with me on LinkedIn Um, kat Lindens, um and uh, I'll be happy to chat further with anybody who likes to have a conversation about higher ed, about personalization, or anything else.
0: Perfect. I'll be sure to tag you in the LinkedIn recap post along with the full episode. Kat, thank you so much for being part of the show. Last episode of the year. Thank you for all your support this year with this podcast. I wish everybody a happy new year, and I wish you a happy new year.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. Congratulations again, and uh, happy, uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and uh, I'll see you soon.
0: Take care. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show today. If you enjoyed it, don't keep it to yourself. Share with your friends in your network. And if you have a moment, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast. That'll help other people find the show as well. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. when I release another episode. Take care now. Have a good one, friends.